0: The Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Mark Tears. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Provoke podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska sims Provokes a mere editor, and I'm joined today by Kirsty Leeton, founder and CEO of Milk and Honey PR, which started life in London in 2017 and has since uh, expanded to New York and Munich. Uh, it's clearly heading for global domination for a relatively <laughs> new agency. Um, Milk and Honey has been about working with purpose driven businesses since its inception and was one of the first PR agencies to be certified as a B Corporation or B Corp in 2019 which I'll be talking to Kirsty about today among other things. Kirsty, hello. Hello Maya, lovely to connect with you. Where in the world are you? You're not at home are today? you? No I'm not. Today I am in New York where it is unseasonably warm. How delightful. Are you are you picking up, are you doing lots of new business and this and talking to your team over there about exciting plans?
0: predominantly talking to the team which is really exciting because we like to think of ourselves as a people first organization so as we're going into our plan for next year I just really want to make sure that I've heard everybody's ideas challenges and uh and so we can kind of make things bigger and better for everybody individually
1: fantastic how many of you are there now 54
0: which seems incredible so yeah five and a half years ago well gosh nearly six years ago now it was me on my own and now we're up to 54 which is really exciting.
1: That's incredible how is that affecting your I know you like to do an annual um, away day to Marrakesh that's getting to be quite a big party now I guess.
0: Yeah, It's a lot of fun and uh, it's, it's more of an away week than an away day because um, uh, you know, it's not the easiest place for everybody to get to. But what's really nice about it is it does feel that you've really escaped from the the day to day. And so that really allows us to, to kind of come together collectively as a team, but to really dig, dig in and explore different topic areas in terms of, you know, what does our... What does our culture look and feel like? How do we extend that into different territories? What does it mean as we, as we open up new offerings? How can we continue to, to, to you know, make that fall appropriately within our broader mission of wanting to work with ambitious growth companies that are, that are having a positive impact on the planet?
1: Yeah, sometimes it's just lovely to all be in the same room together, isn't it? Especially now. It does make a difference.
0: Yeah, it really does. It really does and it also makes working together so much easier when you've got a real kind of 3D relationship with everybody.
1: I know exactly what you mean having just got back from seeing my own Provoke team for the first time all together since 2019 it's just like things just move further and faster and relationships are just you know they're just vastly improved. Um, Before we talk about b-calls in the PR industry um, tell me a little bit about your own career why you founded milk and honey what your vision was and how that's evolved over the past five and a bit years thank you
0: well i have uh worked in in public relations on the agency side for a little over 30 years now and i've been incredibly fortunate during that time to have worked with really some of the the biggest and the, and the best Agencies and indeed client, uh, clients in that time. I started off in a small independent um, that was then called iCast. That's since changed its name to Publicacity. It's part of the Porters group. So what so that was really wonderful. I started, I got the opportunity to learn a little bit about B2B and B2C. From there, I then went to Weber, before it was Weber Shanwig, showing my age. Um, And that was really around the time that the tech bubble was really taking off. So the whole media landscape was incredibly different there. So again, it was more about it was more about getting proposals out in a timely fashion, um, and and really there was a strong strong focus on written content. Then, mm. from there, I then went into um, into Edelman, <clears throat> where I ran the tech team in in London. Obviously, much smaller Edelman at that at that time. And this is still gosh twenty years ago. Um, And I got the opportunity to work on some phenomenal clients. Uh, I was actually seconded in-house to Orange for a little while to build up their uh, their B2B offering. They were doing phenomenally well at the time in the consumer space, but were doing less well from a a board perspective in terms of being taken seriously as a a B2B offer. So I was brought in-house to build that team. And then took a, a little career break to have my children, both of whom are bearded and adults now. So that really <laughs> was a long time ago. Um and uh and then from there, one of my colleagues from one of my colleagues, David Ingle, who I worked with at Edelman, had moved over to, to Wagner edstrom as was, um, and was was loving it over there. So I I Came over to join him again as, as head of technology at the time, which sounded quite grand. There was thirty two people in the London office at Wagner Edstrom then, and but thirty one of those thirty two worked on the Microsoft account because they just got started over in London. So I was brought in to kind of um, really start the technology team. Um, I was working very closely with the amazing Claire Lamata, who then gave me an opportunity to set out other divisions. So then set out consumer marketing, um, corporate, uh, public affairs, um, healthcare. I was then given the opportunity to run client development globally, which meant running kind of the, the, the bigger pitch opportunities, but also then working with the team internationally at the time. Wagner Reson was a different beast. It was 820 people wo- worldwide, and they had offices in in APAC, in Europe and in North America. Um, and really that's when I started thinking about, okay, well, how do you how do you influence other leaders without telling them what to do? How do you work with individuals to help add value to their PLs and to their business offering? Um, and kind of pull people in the same direction. So that's when I started really looking at under kind of like underlying business plans and underlying scorecards to yeah. help draw everybody in the same direction. And, and by pulling eight hundred and twenty people in a similar direction, obviously with the guidance of all of the the different leaders around the world, then it really accelerated new business, new revenue acquisition. Um, and I got to work with some absolute phenomenal players in the market. Corey DeBrow was was my Um, was my line manager for a long time and and just a phenomenal individual to to learn from so that was that was an amazing time where I really felt that I challenged my learning as a as a communications professional Um, from there I then um, I then kind of tried a couple of different things Um, but I think having experienced this opportunity to really rethink fundamentally the role of business and the role of a communications agency from such a macro perspective, um, I kind of probably danced around a little bit. Um, I then went over to Hudson Sandler, which was a very different type of agency again. So this was a UK only, um, and they were focused on, on financial communications and MA work. Um, again, a phenomenal team of, of highly talented individuals. Um, And I was brought in because at that time, it was just when the SEC here in the US was changing how communications to market could be delivered. And they had approved that you could communicate to the capital markets using Twitter. And of course, that was just a very different model for a lot of the more traditional financial PR agencies. So I was kind of brought in to, to, to look at broadening out and evolving methods of communication to market and also to start thinking about corporate brand a little bit more um so that was really exciting I was there for five years learned an awful lot I then kind of sat back a little bit they were going through a process of coming out from um, coming out from under Huntsworth um and I thought actually do you know what um, I've I've had such a, a rich opportunity over the last twenty five years at that time of really kind of understanding communications from a number of, of different worldviews. And I thought, actually, you know what? Maybe now is the time to think about doing something on my own. I've been given the opportunity to demo to grow countries, to grow divisions. Um, I know I can do that. I've been given the opportunity to grow a team and and to learn from phenomenal world-class communicators and world-class business leaders. Um, So actually, maybe now's the time to kind of think about putting that into practice. And I thought, okay, well, if I was going to do that, what what would be some of the principles that I wanted to start off with? And for me, that was... Let's work in an environment where people are kind to each other, number one, and that people can enjoy their work. Because very often we've all been in organizations where we had to work on a client that doesn't necessarily respect what we're trying to do or appreciate what we're trying to do. And I thought, actually, do you know, I just I'm too old. I'm too long in the tooth to do that now. I don't, <laughs> Never. Want, to, I don't want to play that game anymore. Um, And so. And so there was some there were some little learnings from along the way. So, for example, I said, OK, so let's make sure that no client is more than 10 percent of revenue and let's have our baked in attrition at 15 percent. So we can sack any client at any time if we don't want to work with them and it will have no structural impact on the business. So we're never going to be in a position where we're overly reliant on any one client because of because of revenues. And actually making some of these little decisions along the way really changed how we were able to build the business. Another thing that I'd learned along the way is that, you know, from a line management perspective, um, you need to have, you need to be close enough to your direct report to understand the challenges of their role, but you also need to be far enough away that you're, that it is, it's always your intention um, to make sure that you're pulling people up and you're enabling them to be the best version of themselves and i'd been in an organization where perhaps people were line managed by only one level above and what and the unforeseen outcome of that was that people were being held back information was used as power you know because it was it was seen as a threat mm. so again there was all these little learnings that were unintentional i'm sure throughout my Career that I took from other agencies and I said, okay, if the intention is to do good work for for great clients and to enjoy the work that we're doing then you know then what is what is some of the infrastructure we need to put in place to do that and then I kind of said actually you know what I've also been doing this for 25 years now whilst I want to do great work I actually want to do more than that you know great work is is wonderful and will make me feel good for the day but actually wouldn't it be great to build a business where we had a positive a positive impact on the communities that we work in the industry that we're part part of but also but also on the planet and and to leave some sort of legacy where uh, where we're doing better and making an impact and that's when i kind of really came across the the, the b corp movement which looks at fundamentally moving businesses from being a shareholder primacy um organization so a, an organization that exists to serve its shareholders fundamentally that's um that's on a kind of you know, on a financial level and to move it from that model to a stakeholder primacy. So you're thinking about the people that you're working with, not just the people that own the business. You're thinking about the environments that you're working in, the clients that you're working with, the ecosystems that you're working with, the communities you're, 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 you're kind of operating within, and then, and, and then the flow of capital within all of that. And that really really appealed to me um and so so I kind of started that that journey um and got the accreditation back in in 2019 and it's been it's been really it's it's been a, a wonderful guiding light throughout the last couple of years in terms of what
1: better looks like mm. what so you started it fairly early on if you kind of only got going in 2017 and you're a B Corp by 2019 it does feel like that was kind of really baked in from quite early on in your in your vision for what Milk and Honey was going to be as an agency
0: yeah you know interestingly I I think I, I knew what I wanted it to try and be and then I and then I almost needed to find the the right organization or the or the right accreditation that would demonstrate that so for example uh, you know, our founding values are around energy, bravery, loyalty, and respect. Now, clearly, everybody says that they're respectful, and everyone says they're collaborative, and everyone says that they're they're kind of um, energetic about the work they're doing. So I really wanted to make sure that for everything that we said about ourselves, we could prove it. So for example, um, the respect piece is a difficult one. And And so I wanted to find something that would demonstrate us respecting one another, respecting our clients, respecting the planet, respecting the community. And B Corp really became that vehicle to help us deliver against that. Um, And so every year we take one of those values and we say, okay, how how can we really bring this to life and evidence it? Have some sort of external ratification that this really is how, how we behave. So for example, Last year we were focused on collaboration um, and we were looking at and saying, okay, how can we really ensure that we can bring this to life? Now I set up Milk and Honey in the first instance, wanting it to be a, a kind of a, a shared ownership organization. And I made the, I made the fatal mistake of setting up as an LLP, as a limited liability partnership, thinking that was the, the best way to create shared ownership. As it turns out, it's great for a small amount, it's not great for everybody. So then having explored the market a little bit more, I came across the EOT model, the employee trust model, uh, which exists in the UK. Um, and that way around, it creates uh, shared ownership for, every, for everybody. Mm. And actually, the majority of ownership is for, for the team. So you have to have you have to. The team has to own 51 plus percent of the organization to be accredited as a as an EOT. But what's quite nice about it is that there are no it's it's automatic as soon as you've been with the organization for a stipulated amount of time. For us, that's 12 months, which is the maximum qualification period. Then you automatically become a co-owner in the business um, and shares are, are gifted to you. So you're not buying in and they're then held in trust. So fundamentally what that means is that profit share is across the organization and and importantly, decision-making and um, and kind of shared direction, everybody has a a very active role, not not just from a cultural perspective, but also from a legal perspective in
1: terms of contributing to the direction of the business. So that's just one of the ways that you demonstrate your commitment to your people. What about the the kind of the purpose and plan of it? How do you you actually evidence that and and prove to B-Labs that you are doing, you know, that you should be a B-Core and then when you have that accreditation, you're continuing to do well at that? What evidence do you provide for them?
0: That's a really brilliant question and actually they are very rigorous. So, uh, there are two different organisations. So B Corps is the is the the kind of the driving force, um, and there and you know the kind of the shared community that brings everybody together. Um, but then there is an organisation called B Lab, B Laboratories. So those guys actually check in how you're doing, and there are five key areas that are that are assessed within um, within the accreditation. And they span governance, workers, community, clients, and environment. And within that, within those five sections, there are about well, we've just gone through the re-accreditation, so I know exactly how much there are. There are five hundred and thirty different topic areas, and each of those needs to be evidenced. But what's quite nice about it is that it shows you what better looks like. So it'll ask, for example. Um, uh, what percentage of non-executive team members are are um, shareholders in the business? And, uh, you know, it'll say less than 10%, 10 to 15%, 20%, more than 50%, more than 75%. And, and as, as you choose those different potential options, it adjusts the score. So you can see what better looks like. And all the way through the the b lab experience you can see what better looks like and the idea is is that once you become accredited and you need to get 80 points plus to become accredited you it's then an ongoing kind of ongoing improvement process that that you go through and you're you constantly kind of reset yourself some new goals in terms of what better looks like and then you have to go back through um an accreditor. You have to be re-accredited every three years, and again, it's a very rigorous process where everything has to be evidenced, um, and there's an external auditor that goes through that, that kind of checks all the all the documentation. So it's for those of us within the PR universe that have been through PR PRCA's CMS, their, their consultancy management standard. That's a kind of like an Uber light version.
1: Okay now you said you've just been re-accredited the latest B course scores are in as they might sound strictly and you're you're doing well even within this you know very committed cohort aren't you like quite astonishingly well. We work very hard at it. We we kind of month by month from a, a board perspective,
0: we we look at the scores and see what better looks like. And so it's a it's a kind of an ongoing visible presence. But but yes, I'm delighted to say that uh we've improved our score by almost seven by 70 points to 154.2, Point um, which is which is a which is a great score and actually I think makes us the highest scoring communications agency. Um in the world, which sounds very dramatic. Um, but what's really great about it, thank you. But what's really great about it is that there are actually now 60 PR agencies across the world that are core accredited. And there are more and more organizations that are going through the process at the moment. So increasingly it's becoming, it's becoming a, a kind of a better known standard. Um, and one that's that's kind of really meaningful across the, you know, a, a, across the, the business environment um, and one that PR
1: agencies in particular are taking a leading role in. So I, I think that's pretty exciting. Well, I, we seem to be writing every week now about another agency uh, achieving or going for beacal status. Obviously, you guys don't cry wolf. Another very early adopter um, within the uh, within the PR universe. Freud's I think was the first big agency to achieve beacal status, and then I, I just did a quick search of our archives, and literally in the last. Uh, year or so we've talked about Sunnyside side up wild west kindred social greenhouse yulu and pha group do you all talk to each other about about your we do. experiences? we do
0: and in fact it was the it was the lovely john brown over at don't cry wolf that um that talked to me about b in the first instance to have, so when i was talking to him about looking for some sort of infrastructure that would allow us to to really give a a, a, give us a path towards what greater respect would look like I'm sure it's it's a very sharing community actually which is lovely and so you know we share best practice and we share you know we share policies back and forth and we share insights and mistakes um, and that's helpful Because the idea is that we're all making ourselves better, not to compete with one another, but if we're all doing better for the planet, if we're all doing better for community, if we're all focused on what better DE&I looks like, what better environmental practices look like, what better kind of carbon neutral policies look like, then, then we're all winners.
1: Why, why do you think we are seeing more agencies becoming BCOR though? I mean, it, it sounds like a really good kind of very holistic auditing process for doing business better in the world um, within the industry. But, but what is it about comms particularly that you think is kind of where, where agencies have recognised that is, this is a, a, a really good thing to be doing?
0: I think at at our core, we are responsible for organisations, for brands, for individuals, for corporations, for for products, for their for their reputation and market. And so, therefore, anything that we can do to to in, to ground ourselves in what best practice and what good reputational policies look and 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 feel like um, makes us all better. So, I think it really appeals to communicators to be able to have that evidence and I think PR even more so than other marketing strategies or, or other marketing disciplines really does focus in on how do we prove it um, and, and this this kind of B core cool structure delivers a lot of delivers a lot of that for us. So I would say that helps. And also, you know what, again, we're a very friendly, interwoven international community that likes to share best practice. And so I think when one or two of us comes across something, we share it with one another. Um, And then and then we kind of follow suit.
1: Do you think it gives you more credibility, especially when you're advising clients around sustainability, ESG, uh, all that other kind of good corporate citizen stuff absolutely absolutely
0: I mean you know a lot of a lot of organizations claim to be the best at this and doing excellent work there and you know it's again I would come back to this provides evidence that we really are we really are walking the talk and we really know we know and practice great ethical social and environmental leadership
1: Is it good for new business?
0: Yes, it is. But for us as an organization, uh, we've made a choice to only work with organizations that have a a clear purpose and do no harm to people or, or planet. So for us, actually making sure that organizations align to, you know, our values align to their values just makes for a much more kind of successful and synergistic relationship. So, from that perspective, yes, it does help. It, it really does help from a from a new business perspective. But also, I think you know, regulation is catching up um, right around the world in terms of what better looks like. And so, again, some of the policies that were perhaps really stood out and were seen as best practice two or three years ago are now are now kind of becoming more hygiene factors. Mm. And, uh, and and regulation is catching up. You know, you look at it from, a, especially from an ESG perspective, you know, what organizations now need to legally report on is, is different, is hugely different to what it was five years ago. Um, You know, you look at it at, at diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and you say, okay, well, what does best practice look like there? And again, there's policies and infrastructure and increasingly, um, regulation that's coming in place that again is 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 moving the needle in terms of what is considered to be best practice and what is now can so you know it's 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 always moving and interestingly the b lab scores move with it so for example our score as an organization because you kind of self-score as you're going along has actually come down recently because they, the the B Lab community go in and, and kind of um readjust scores almost I think quarterly. Um, and so those scores do fluctuate a little bit as well. So it's uh it's a it's a it really is a, a great platform for kind of
1: keeping up to speed with mm-hmm. what good, better and best looks like. So you can't rest on your B core laurels. It's not like you've got it and then you never have to keep up to date with what the requirements and what better better or even best looks like you've really got to keep at it absolutely. yes, do you so think- it's not some it's not something for somebody to
0: do to just kind of think, oh okay, right I, you know I, I I'd like to. I'd like to have that as a badge. It, it you know, it, it's an it's a way of working. It's an ethos. You have to change your legal structure. It's part one of the key requirements is you have to change your legal structure from being, from um from being a a, a, a shareholder primacy business to being a stakeholder primacy business. So your mm-hmm. your articles of association or bylaws, as it would be over here in the US, are legally restructured. So your your reason for
1: existence changes fundamentally. Do you think every PR agency could or should aim for B Corp status? So the reason why I'm hesitating is because I don't think every organisation would want to,
0: um, but... In terms of is it the right thing to do for um, for workers? Is it the right thing to do for community? Is it the right thing to do for the planet? I would say absolutely it is. It is it is it going to work for everybody? Absolutely not. And because not it's not about you know, just working with organizations that do that are doing everything fantastically, the whole idea of the movement is is kind of incremental increases. So again, it's about getting as many organizations as possible to do things better, not just to celebrate those that are already getting it right. And so the movement started in, in the US, um, I think 15 years ago. Um, and then it's kind of moved, It increased its international presence since then. But it's it's still really gathering momentum. There are 5,000 um, accredited b Corps in, in the US and we've just, we've just ticked over 1,000 um, in, in the UK. So it's still, it, you know, it's still at the beginning, but it's gathering momentum
1: at speed. Mm. Uh, it does sound like it's a real driver for for how you do business. How does the... How does your international expansion? Obviously, you mentioned New York, Munich was the the latest one to service the um, Germany, Austria, and, and Switzerland. When you, I mean, what's next for Milk and Honey, and how does your how do your expansion plans in terms of geography kind of link back into your B core status and what you're trying to achieve as a business? Rolling um, business plan that we're working to, so that so that we. Don't
0: just get caught up in short-term decision making, um, and that's been helpful for us. Um, and it is our intention to to expand out a little further. Um, we would like to expand into APAC um, and then potentially also look um, look at the Middle East and the Afri- and Africa region. Now, obviously, it's it's a little trickier there. A because of time zones, but B because of you know, just different cultures, different values, different ways of working. So I think probably Singapore would be the next target that we would be looking at. Obviously, it's predominantly English language. It's it's uh, it's a democracy. It's easy to relatively easy to get set up over there. So we're just kind of testing that, as you know, or and I'm sure lots of your listeners may remember, we actually opened up in Australia and Sydney in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, But with the country being kind of shut down for a couple of years, we found that 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 wasn't optimal for us. So so there was a key learning there where we opened up and then had to put the business on on pause. So I think looking again at the APAC region, we probably wouldn't go into australia um not that it wasn't a, a good market for us it was just finding the right talent was really tricky during during lockdown so it probably would be more eyes to to singapore and then looking at the middle east and africa again there are different ways of working we're a predominantly female-led and run business and so there are certain markets where where that would be harder than others, but we're kind of keeping an eye on opportunities within Dubai that plays a, a quite a, a meaningful role across across that territory. Um, so yeah, that's more of a watching brief, to be honest, rather than rather than any solid plans.
1: Okay. Well, let, can you let me know about Singapore? That's that's quite good as a news story.
0: Yeah. Well, there's nothing to tell yet. It's just it's something that we're just keeping keeping an eye on because also one of the things that we want to be able to do more and more is to is to run international campaigns. We're we're doing that and doing it really really well. We've got some phenomenal talent um see really senior talent um internationally and so we want to be able to optimize that we've got some excellent um international partners that we're that we're working with but um yeah the kind of the dot on the map that's missing you know in much the same ways as 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 the provoke network is set up is is that is that kind of Singapore I know for you it it has been more Hong Kong but obviously with the influence of, of China now that's probably less of a of a
1: it would be easier, I think, for, for Singapore. So that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Um, absolutely fascinating stuff. And obviously, the team will be growing all the time. You're doing that. You're you would you are our best agency to work for in Emir for like three years running, I think, weren't you? And and narrowly picked for the post this year. So it's it'll be interesting to see. I mean, is this a concern of yours that as you grow, you continue to to really focus on on being a very people focused business? for me that was the driver you know that was the
0: one of the principal drivers of, in setting up it's just kind of i want to to enjoy the work i'm doing i want to grow and learn from from the people that i'm working with and i see doing brilliant work as being a, as as being a kind of a a happy output from that but to be honest with you every client that we've worked with for more than a year we've won awards for the work that we've done together so it really you know that is working but enjoying the work that we're doing and challenging ourselves is really important now clearly the bigger you get the harder that is um and so that is something that we need to work on but so for example in London we're a team of 30 people now I don't really want any one office I mean, office is a bit of a, a, a bit of a joke. We've obviously yeah. got people who are down in Devon or in Ramsgate or in Paris or what have you. But I don't really want any one office to be more than about 40, 45 people because I think, again, you then start looking at, okay, we need a, an exec or a manager or a director on this rather than I need... Adam or Zarina or Lewis on this I I always want us to be a collection of talented individuals all of who have different skills interests and um and and you know meaningful additions to make to an to, to the organization to the client to the team so I want us to kind of I want us to stay there Um, So it may well be the case that um, that, you know, perhaps Uh in the next five years, we may well open another office or two in the UK so that we don't lose that real kind of that individual
1: valuable contribution culture. Um, I've always really admired you, Kirsty, for your energy and the fact you always have at least one new thing on the go and I guess that kind of rolling five-year year, year plan is is part of that but where where do you get your where do you get your energy from and what do you think you're like as a leader <laughs> well probably be best to ask other people so
0: uh, as you know because obviously we're quite we're quite friendly but my husband and both of my sons are um are all adhd
1: mm.
0: um and i'm very i you know, i'm neurodiverse myself and i think that in itself being around that kind of constant jelly bean energy um is is a real driver for me, and I and so therefore being able to channel it and you know one of my key le- learnings whilst being part of the amazing uh, Wagner Edstrom team was if you can channel multiple people's energy into into a, a meaningful smart goal that's long term enough so everyone can can have their own version of what that looks like but we're all pulling in the same direction. Mm-hmm. I think that allows us to move at speed, and I think that allows people. To bring their own energy um, to to any kind of development or or growth opportunity. Um, And so I personally find that incredibly energizing. We do also work really hard to make sure that we're not recruiting in time. So I'm sure that for the introverts in the team, they probably find it quite exhausting. we do try to make sure that we don't recruit in type because obviously any organization needs introverts and extroverts, needs thinkers and feelers, needs people that are brilliant on the creative front, but also those that are really focused on the process. And by bringing those different energies, those different talents together, it makes for an optimal team. So that's what we try and 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 really focus on. Um, so I would hope that as a leader, I am. Um, energizing and inspiring but also I think I've got quite a kind of a a maternal um, approach to responsibilities and to growth in personal
1: growth I mean I hope that's what I'm aiming for Maya the whole hive with a milk and honey flavored jelly bean right at the top of it Um, (laughs) (laughs) What have you learned? We've been doing this um three things piece for a little while now. And I know we've got yours coming up, Kirsty. But just in summary, what have you learned about yourself personally and professionally over the past couple of years since the pandemic started?
0: Gosh, that's such a massive question because I think I think,
1: like most people, I went through a, a
0: complete A complete roller coaster of different experiences from first being locked down, feeling really isolated, not doing as an extrovert, not doing brilliantly without having lots of people around to to bounce off, to kind of almost feeling a bit depressed about things. To then, uh, you know, to then kind of rising like a bit of a phoenix and giving a very strong direction as we were finding ourselves coming into a more difficult economic situation. So, so yeah, there's been, there's been lots of change. And I think, I think one of the things that I've learned about myself is that, is that change is good, embrace it and allow it, but appreciate that everybody is going to view it differently, will respond and react to it differently at different times. And, um, and that's okay. know it's okay for everybody to to respond to things differently to want to kind of to want different things from their workplace um and again again i think if you share goals and direction of what you're trying to achieve rather than rather than um instruction and guidance on what to do so focus on what to achieve rather than what to do then then Everyone can pull in the same direction in a way that works best for them, whether they're in the office, whether they're at home, whether they they're on the beach or or you know wherever they are. And so, so that's what, so that's been interesting. Um, another thing that I've really come to appreciate is that is that I need more time off now to kind of reset and to recenter I don't know whether that's just an age thing or the joys of being in the full throes of menopause right now which is which has provided its own its own kind of love and challenges but you know really making sure that I'm taking time to just stop working whereas you know for most business owners and leaders you've you know you feel a very acute sense of being responsible for people's ability to pay their mortgages and their rent and so Sometimes you push on when really you should just stop. I think it enriches and energizes all of us by having a proper stop. Um, And so that's something that I've forced myself to do a a lot more over the last couple of years. Also, you know, also, you know, being menopausal means that I my brain doesn't work as well as it used to. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and um another thing that's been fantastic for our organization is is really is really bringing in some phenomenal talent that can do and think about things that that my brain doesn't have access to um and i have found that really exciting and really stimulating and so in the last year we've brought in um creative people that we didn't necessarily have before we've brought in a head of um of of planning was which was a function that we didn't have before. We've brought in um, a global head of um of of media, um uh, which we didn't have before. And so that has been really interesting. But it's it it's taken us to get to the size we are to be able to do that. But to again have people that have a more specialized view on, on the world um, that you know spans multiple sectors, but you know, just in terms of the art of of our of our trade, um, that has been really exciting to to kind of explore and play with that a little bit. So I, I've I've very much enjoyed that. And I think the broader team has enjoyed that as well. So so continuing to so I guess the learning there is 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 continuing to be brave about thinking about how we view um our work and our output. Um, and and constantly challenging that, and clearly, you know, we've we've done an awful lot of work in the last few years on, on digital and social space. But again, really taking lessons from other marketing disciplines and thinking about how best to, you know, how best
1: to keep upping our game. Always a busy bee, Kirsty. If you don't mind the pun, thank you. Eleven <laughs> percent. <7%. you>, uh... <laughs> I know you do Thank you so much. It's brilliant to get an inst- like a proper deep dive insight into why you're a why, why it matters and why it matters for the PR industry as well and to hear what's going on at Milk and Honey. And um, yeah, uh, we will be watching you as we have done since you started with interest. Have fun in New York and I will see you soon. Thanks so much. Wonderful. Thank you so very much.
0: been listening to the provoked podcast brought to you by provoked media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers support for this podcast comes from notified the integrated intelligent and easy to use VR software get a free demo today at notified.com